Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. How's everybody doing? Good? Yeah, well, we're going to continue our line-by-line, verse-by-verse through the book of Exodus. And, uh, man, it's been exciting so far, but we're right in the middle. This is day 20 of our 40 Days to Freedom. And, you know, I really believe, well, I know that God put it on on my heart to have our church do this. And I pray in these 40 days you're growing closer to the Lord. Even if you've fell, even if you haven't made any changes yet, what can you change in the next 20 days? What kind of person can you be differently to grow closer to the Lord, to heal your marriage? All these things. Well, where we've been in Exodus, so far we found that Moses was called by God to lead the nation of Israel out of slavery into freedom. We know that Moses did what after the burning bush? Did he yield to the call? Oh, no, he gave every excuse he could find not to be God's man. Has God ever called you to do something? And you say, I don't know enough. I'm not talented enough. I I don't have the resources to do that. God always calls us to do things that stretches our faith. Something that is beyond what we can do ourselves, because then we have to do what? Rely on him. Moses finally manned up and yielded to the call of God. He went to Pharaoh, and for 40 days, God showed his mighty hand in the land of Egypt. For 40 days, 10 plagues were wrought through the land of Egypt, and the nation of Israel went from slavery to freedom. Last week, we looked at the last plague that was Passover. Uh, We were blessed to celebrate at the Lord's table last week and this week, communion. And uh, one thing we noticed last week was Israel was not set free until they did what? What did they have to do before they had the Passover? It's up there. They had to clean out the leaven from their houses. You know any Jews? You know, before Passover, what do they do? They spick and span their house. They have to get every little ounce of leaven out of their house. And we found that leaven represents what? Who remembers? Two things, right? Sin and false teaching. Remember, Jesus told the disciples, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And they're like, what, their bread? And Jesus said, why would I be talking to you about bread? No, beware the teaching of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Pharisees, false teaching. So two things, not only sin, but false dogma. It's, it's not understanding and rightly dividing the word of truth. That's leaven. Do you know that every compromised church, every cult, started with this book? You know, a lot of cults use this book. And what do they do? Man, they introduce leaven, false teaching into it, and it grows into this horrible loaf of cultism, Mormonism, Jehovah Witness, Christian science. All of these things have been leavened by false teaching. That's why we need to beware it. And we need to get the leaven out of us this morning as well. And that brings us to our text. Turn, if you would, to Exodus chapter 13, starting at verse 17. And if I was going to give the message a title, it's free but not delivered. You ever feel like that? 
hey, I'm born again. I know Jesus. I am set free from my old life. I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. But man, I still am in bondage to this. Hey, I'm free, but I'm not fully delivered yet. And that's where the nation of Israel finds themselves this morning in our text. Exodus chapter 13, starting at verse 17. It says, Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. Any other translations for martial array there? In the Hebrew, that literally means dressed for battle. More than just being dressed for battle, it means to be armored up, to have your weapons in hand. Now picture this. All the firstborn in Egypt just died. God said that all your neighbors are going to pile on you gold and silver and all the things you need. And here comes this great band of former slaves and they are arrayed in battle armor, sorted up, ready to fight. That's what martial array is. And they have all these jewels and riches from the land of Egypt, and they're going forth from slaves 400 years. Think about that. Our nation isn't even 400 years old. Man, a lot can happen in 400 years. And Israel was enslaved for 400 years, and now they're being set free by the power of God. Can you imagine how you would feel? Okay, you were a poor slave and now you're rich and free in one day. Well, it actually took 40 days, but one night, the Passover, is when it happened. And they're going for triumphant. The idea here in the Hebrew is more than just dressed for battle and armed, but it is to be in formation. It is really this parade kind of idea. So we have the whole nation of Israel going from slavery and being poor to being completely rich and free in one night. But what happens? Let's continue on. Verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Four hundred years ago. <laughs> Go back to Genesis chapter 50, starting in verse 24. Genesis chapter 50, verse 24. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on, on oath to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. Do you know it's not until Joshua chapter 24, verse 32, that they actually finally take possession of the promised land and bury Joseph's bones? And they actually do it. But Moses remembered a prophecy that Joseph, or yeah, that Joseph had given. 400 years prior to their departure. And he said, man, we can't forget his bones. Now, what would happen if they forgot his bones? Was it a prophecy or a, or a request? 
It was mainly a request, but nothing would have really happened, but they remembered Joseph's bones. In Israel today, there's a place called Joseph's tomb. Have you heard of it? In fact, in the prophecies in Habakkuk, it actually talks about uh, Joseph's tomb in the last days being, being burned, Joseph's house. Guess what the Muslims did about a month and a half ago? Did you read it in the paper? Yeah, they burned Joseph's term, tomb. Pretty crazy stuff, right? Think we're living in the last days? Wow. Let's continue on. Ah, verse 20. And they set out from Succoth and camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. You ever wonder where these places are? When you read, do you look it up on a map? I think it's important that we go to the map, and we're going to do that. So what we have is they were dwelling in Gosham or Ramses, um, the ver real fertile area of um, southern, e or, yeah, southern Egypt, so that map isn't quite the way it should be. But anyway, they came down to Succoth, and they could have went the way of the Philistines, but the Bible, we just read it, God said, man, I'm not going to take them right into the promised land because what would happen? They would immediately be in war with these giants that lived in the land. And God said, they're just going to turn around and go right back to Egypt. So what does he do? He takes them all the way over here to Succoth and then all the way over to Etham. And then he's going to put a big sea between them and going back to Egypt. Do you see how that works? So there's no temptation to go back. Do you know a lot of Christians still look at their life prior to Christ and they say, boy, those were fun times. You ever hear Christians say that? And they desire to go back to Egypt, back to slavery, back to bondage. But God, for the Israelites, puts the great sea of the Red Sea between them and Egypt eventually. But now they go to Etham, and what happens? Let's continue on. Verse 20 again. Then they set out from Succoth and camped in Ethan on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So let's picture this. God just supernaturally delivered us from 400 years of slavery. He gave us all the riches we would want, everything we'll need. We left slavery and we're headed to the promised land that God had promised our forefathers. It's literally our inheritance. Man, we're going to go to a land flowing with milk and honey. We will no longer be slaves again. We are free. We are rich. We have every, all the gold, silver, everything we need. The Egyptians gave them. Not only that, but God says, man, you know what? I'm going to lead you. It's going to be so clear. See that big old pillar of cloud? Can you imagine by day that you're going to follow? That's, that's like the Shekinah glory of God. Man, you're following the glory of God. In fact, later on it says the angel of God was in the midst of the cloud. So God's doing all these supernatural things. He's leading you supernaturally. By night you have this great pillar of fire that actually gives light to the whole camp. Consider that. If you've ever been camping in the wilderness where there's no moon and you have no light, it is pitch black. You can't even see the hand in front of your face. 
And yet God provided even for that supernatural leading, guiding. Wouldn't you think that the whole nation would trust God at this point? That they would have faith? I mean, wow, there's a supernatural cloud that we're following by day, and it turns into this glowing uh, light and source of warmth at night. Man, he's doing all these things. Man, God is in our midst. How good is he? Oh, but we're going to find in just a few verses that the whole nation says, why did you bring us out of Egypt to come to this place and die? Doesn't it sound like us? Oh, God, you're so great. Oh, man, it's awesome. And one little, one little trial comes our way, and we're like, how could you do this? My life is falling apart. I do everything. I pay my tithes. I go to church. How could you do this to me, God? It was completely supernatural. By the way, how are we led today? They were led by a pillar of fire. Now, I wish God would lead me like that. Wouldn't that be cool? Hey, Lord, where do you want me to go? Oh, that's easy. I can follow that. You know, you know the great rumbling of God. Turn to Psalm 119, 105 really quick. Two ways we're led by God today. I just want to take this rabbit trail quickly. Psalm 119. Verse 105, yeah, it's a lot of verses in Psalms, right? You know, it's usually it's not that many. Your word is what? A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I want to I let you know, folks, that most of the answers to all the big questions in life are right here in this book. More than that, as you read the Word of God, as you study the Word of God, you begin to recognize His voice. You recognize how He speaks. You recognize how He leads. So when you're in prayer and the Holy Spirit with an original thought stream or plants some, something in your heart, you recognize the voice of the Lord. Does that make sense? Why is it important? Turn to Romans chapter 8, and this is why it's important, starting at verse 11. So we're led primarily by the Word of God. If you have questions, run to the Word of God, and it's there that we learn to recognize His voice so that when the Holy Spirit leads us, we know it's the Spirit of God. We test it by what? The Word of God. So Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 11. It says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in, in you, does He? Do you know the minute you're born again, you become what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. He comes in you. Remember Jesus, when the disciples really believed, he breathed on them and said what? Receive the Holy Spirit. They were born again at that point. The minute you confess Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit resides in your heart and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now I must say though, Subsequent to that, sometimes it happens at the same time, you are baptized in the Spirit. That's when you are empowered and gifted by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Different things, but continue on. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, uh, Romans 8, 11b, will also give life to your mortal bodies through a Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are not under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 14. For all who are what? Being led by the Spirit of God, 
These are the sons of God, for you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And you know, Abba is Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies with our own spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may be glorified with him. For I consider that the suffering of this present time, what are you going through today? What trial are you going through today? I consider the suffering, the trials, all the anxiety and worry over the, the, the difficulties of life, they're nothing to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So how are we led today? Two ways, by the word of God. That's primary. If you're not obeying the word of God, God's not going to lead you anywhere else. Man, start being obedient. And then as you grow in the Lord, he is, by the power of his Holy Spirit, going to lead you to do whatever he's called you to do. Man, he had to lead them by a pillar of fire at night. I, I like what the way the microphone kind of sounds like that. You know, it's kind of cool. I, I, man, I didn't even know that until I did it. I want to keep doing it. I'm such a kid. Oh, didn't I preach about that two weeks ago? We need to, the 40 days to renew that. Oh, what am I doing? I shut my Bible. Man, I was ready to close in prayer. Turn back to Exodus chapter 13. God wants to lead you by his word and by his spirit. It is so important to pray. Do you know that God wants you to ask him, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what's your plan for my life? Lord, lead me and guide me. Anoint me. Speak through me. Go before me. It's so important. Chapter 14. Wow, we just finished a whole chapter. Well, half. <laughs> Verse 1, now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before what? Pi-hahiroth, between Migdol and the sea, you shall camp in front of Baal-Zephon, opposite it by the sea. Have you ever heard of Baal-Zephon? Have you ever heard of Baal? Okay, Baal is what? A false god. You know, in, in the Hebrew and Aramaic, what it literally means is Lord. So what this would be properly transferred or uh, translated is Lord Zephon. So who is Zephon? Zephon was the God of the mountains and the sea. Folks, I want you to know this, that even though Israel were free, they were not yet delivered. Now consider this, for 400 years they lived in the land of Egypt. You ever spill salt, take a little bit, throw it over your left shoulder? Have you ever done that? Come on. Am I the only one that has done that? Black cats crossing your path and you're like, whoa, dude, no, I can't, I can't walk in front of that cat. Am I the only one that was taught that? My parents, man, are, are you guys listening? You taught me pagan rituals, for goodness sake. Are there any superstitions that you have? How about Friday the 13th? It just happened. No, we don't care about any of this junk, right? But they lived in this land for 400 years without a priest, without a Bible, and without really a true knowledge of God. Consider that. What do you think they believed? 
Do you know all the plagues, even though they were against the Egyptians to get the children of Israel set free, it was God letting the nation of Israel know those gods have no power over me. I created this world. He was demonstrating to the nation of Israel, don't even consider those gods anymore. I am Yahweh. I am the creator of the universe, the deliverer. I am more powerful than these gods. But there was one God left. It was Zephon. What do we know about Zephon? I think it's important we look at that. By the way, that's probably where the Red Sea crossing was. It's Baal Zephon. And literally what he says here in our text, uh, go back to verse 2 of chapter 14. Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Piharoth between Megdal and the sea. You shall camp in front of Baal Zephon opposite it by the sea. Baal Zephon was not a city. It was the temple of this pagan god. Lord Zephon. Sounds like a science fiction movie. Lord Zephon came. I had too much zip for this today, so please forgive me. The study of the history and background of Baal Zephon is literally fascinating when you get into it. The worship of Baal was known throughout this whole region. They worship Baal, the Lord. Now, that's why it scares me when Yahweh is translated the Lord in the Bible, because for a pagan, what does that mean? In your Bible, when it's all capitals, L-O-R-D, that's Yahweh. Man, I, I sure wish they would have just put the tetragrammaton, T-H-W-H, or Y-H, what is it? Yeah, Y-H-W-H, instead of the Lord. For a pagan, that, that's Baal. Of course, that's not the word they used. What was it? Adonai. That's one. But note this. Upon this mountain, Baal Zephon, it was believed that Zephon reigned in power and was lord over the sea. Now, it's right by the Red Sea. It was a real beautiful place there. Here, Pharaoh may have sensed that the idol Zephon was going to display his power over the Israelites. And uh, we found a description. We never found the exact idol, but this this god, Zephon, was portrayed standing on two mountains with sword drawn. Okay, now this is from what? Who knows? I forget. Some movie. So this isn't an exact representation of Baal Zephon, but it's kind of the idea. Now, picture this. One of their gods in Egypt and the whole Fertile Crescent was this god that stood on two mountains sword drawn protecting all the ocean trade protecting all the waters and those that worshiped him were protected as they went forth to do battle or to go to the sea all right so the last two powers that god had to defeat and that he had to demonstrate to the israelites that they were nothing compared to him were zephon and pharaoh's army you can bet that they feared Pharaoh's army. And God was going to take care of that as they crossed the Red Sea. It's no surprise that the Lord stopped Israel and turned them around to meet and defeat not only Pharaoh and his army, but to display his power over Zephon, the last god of Egypt, that he was going to show that he is dominant. Those gods are nothing. I think it was to teach Egypt and Israel that God is the one true God. 
because after 400 years of being in Egypt, you can bet they had some of the uh, religion of the Egyptians uh, mixed into their belief system. Not only this, but Yahweh would lead his people directly through the sea, the sea that the Egyptians believed were under the control of Zephon, and instead of the Israelites being destroyed in the sea, all of Pharaoh's army was going to be destroyed. Let's continue. Chapter 14, verse 4. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, and they did so. And when the king of Egypt was told that the people have fled, Pharaoh had his servants, and his servants had a change of heart toward the people. And they said, What is this we have done? that we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made his chariot ready and took his people with him. He took, now note this, 600 select chariots. That's a lot. And all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened uh, the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. No doubt they were going out boldly. They were dressed in battle array. They were armed. Then the Egyptians, verse 9, chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen, and his army. And they overtook them, uh, camping by the sea beside Pi-Hadaroth, which is exactly Baal-Zaphon, the false god. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, it is, is it because that there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is it not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this wilderness. Now picture that. We already did. God gave them all this gold, silver, riches, everything they need. They were set free from slavery. They were arrayed in battle array, armed. Everything was going good. God had this pillar of fire <laughs> before them, leading them by night. And a cloud by day, all the supernatural stuff is going around. God had set them free. Everything's good. And this one little problem. Well, they were trapped. If you saw on that map, there were mountains on this side. The god Baal Zephyr probably standing set up, standing on two peaks, probably a huge, magnificent thing. The Red Sea on this side and nowhere to go. They were trapped. And now Pharaoh's army had them pretty much hemmed in. And they cried out to God, wondering, why did you bring us out here just to die? Man, you should have left us in Egypt. Folks, the Christian walk, you know, when, when you believe in Jesus Christ and you're born again, I know I was taught that you jump into this thing called the jacuzzi of Christianity. And everything is hunky-dory and nice, and life is a bed of roses, and uh, man, everything's wonderful. Oh, come to Jesus, and your life will be great. Where does the Bible say that? Now, come to Jesus, and you're going to fight. 
You're going to enter this battle for your very soul and the souls of those around you. You're going to have to strap on the armor and fight the good fight and endure to the end. You're going to have to keep the faith. I think it was Mike that told me, someone called him and said, Mike, man, I want to start this business and I just don't know if God's in it and you know, I want it to be successful. So if he's in it, it'll be successful. And Mike said, how do you know? Maybe he'll lead you to start it for it to fail. You ever think of that? Like profound. And it goes with the message today because Israel were led by God. They thought everything was good. They had all this gold. They were marching in battle array. And all of a sudden they're trapped in front of the god Zaphon and the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. And that very minute, despite all the supernatural, miraculous works that God had already done, they said, alas, we are going to die. I got a flat tire. I'm going to die. Well, sometimes if I don't eat when I'm super hungry, I feel like I'm going to die. You ever feel that way? No? That's okay. Just me. I know. I'm, it's crazy. Verse 13. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them for, again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Folks, I want you to know that whatever trial you're facing today, no matter how impossible it seems, God will fight for you. Simply have the childlike faith in the Lord. That's all it is. That childlike faith in Jesus Christ, it's so important. They were trapped. Man, I know I have been times in my life where I've been trapped. Just all they had to do was stand still and know that God was going to fight on their behalf. Now, that's hard. Do you think that took faith? Absolutely. Folks, whatever trial, whatever hardship, whatever you're facing in life, I can assure you, be still, God says, and know that I am the Lord. I love you. You are precious to me. You are the apple of my eye. I am going to strengthen you and see you through this. All the plagues were really God's drumbeat to victory. It was proving to the nation of Israel that the gods of Egypt had no power. And this last god that he was going to conquer was the god Zephon. Probably pretty spectacular. I think if I lived in that day, I would have worshipped this god. This god, mighty warrior, feet on two mountains, huge, standing. I mean, that'd be a cool kind of god. I wonder if they had like t-shirts. but No, I don't, they probably didn't. Tunics. So they're looking at the Red Sea. They're looking at the mountain cliffs and they're looking at Pharaoh's army and they're like, there is nowhere to go. We're done. Pharaoh's army is going to drive us into the sea and we're going to drown or be uh, slain with the sword. It's over. God brought us out here just to kill us. I think they should have thought about the prophecies. Man, I'm going to bring you into a promised land, flow in with milk and honey. Man, you're going to prosper. I am God. I am going to do it. Look at all these things I've done. Do you think this sea is anything for me? 
or Pharaoh's army? Whatever trial you're facing, I'm more powerful than that. I love that saying. The uh, task before you is not as great as the power behind you. Man, God is going to see you through. Where's the faith? Verse 13 or verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward as you lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. How's he going to be honored? They're going to drown in the sea. And the angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went around behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. And there was a cloud along with uh, darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. So picture this, the cloud they're following now moves behind them and becomes a hedge of protection around the nation of Israel. So that Pharaoh's army couldn't protect. You know, you're the apple of God's eye. He will protect you. Trust him in the midst of whatever you're going through. This was our men's retreat a while back. Set apart. Uh, I just like the graphics, so that's all. (laughs) There's a lot to that, yeah. See me catching that shark? (laughs) That's funny. It's, uh, that's a real picture. Oh, no, it's not. Are you crazy? Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind, and the waters were divided. And the sons of Israel went in the midst of the sea on dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Make no mistake about it. This was not this little shallow puddle that, oh, a wind came up and now the, you know, there was a few inches of water. Th- these were walls of water. Theoretically, where they crossed the Red Sea, some theorize it was a thousand feet deep. Okay, erosion could have made it that deep today. Maybe it wasn't so deep back then. But these were huge walls of water that they went through. It's really interesting. We have some extra biblical evidence about this. It's the hieroglyphic inscription at the shrine of El Arish. See that monument there? It's inscribed on that. Guess what archaeologists, how they found this monument in Egypt. The village was using it as a cow trough, a watering trough for their, their things for centuries and finally, one archaeologist is walking by in this village and looks at it. And, Wait a minute. What? There's hieroglyphics on this. Could you imagine that? This is ancient. This is old. This what the and they set it up and they translated it. And it talked about nine days of darkness and plagues in the land of Egypt. Remember when we went through that? And it also said. Evil fell upon the earth. There was great upheaval in the residence uh, of Pharaoh. There's a reference. 
Pharaoh who pursued fleeing slaves as far as Pi-ha-hirat. Is that where we just read they were? Yeah. Where he was plunged into a whirlpool. Pretty cool, right? I, I think it's a little extra biblical evidence. Now, some speculate this is a lot older than the Exodus. Who knows? I, I think it could be it. I mean, it's too much for a coincidence, in my opinion. Anyway, both Israel and Egypt were free, but not delivered. Oh, e Egyptians thought they were free, but really, who were they serving? False gods. In fact, potentially even Satan himself, because I believe Satan himself is behind idol worship. He empowers, he does weird things. And so in the end, we're left with this awesome display of God's power and wisdom. We're left that Egyptians knew Yahweh was God. We're left with Israel knew all the false gods had no power over the God of the Bible, the God of creation. I believe that many Egyptians potentially came to the Lord, and it's a perfect picture of sanctification. Man, as they crossed that Red Sea, they were set free. Let's just finish chapter 14 before we close. Verse 28, And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, like the, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel uh, that day from the land of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And next week we're going to get into chapter 15. It's the first praise song in the Bible. You want to know what's cool? It's also the last praise song in the Bible. Turn over to Revelation really quick, chapter 15, verse 3. And we'll end with this. Revelation 15, 3. I even start at verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. And they sang the song of who? Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Man, the first praise song and the last bookends. Interesting. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. Come on up, worship team. Second Corinthians 10.3, while they're coming up, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses or strongholds. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing 
raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to obedience to Christ. 20 days left in our 40 days. You might feel like your life, man, you're, you're, you've hit that, that spot where there's pagan gods on your left, a great scary ocean on your right, and some kind of army pursuing you from the back, and there's nowhere to go. I know this. Prayer changes things. Make no mistake about it, a man or woman of prayer is a mighty force. Bible says you have not because you ask not. Some people just think it's futile to pray. God already knows. But for some reason, God wants us to pray. Prayer is important. Today we're going to have some prayer after this song. But during these next 20 days, think about this. The weapons of our warfare are the sword of the Spirit, are the shield of faith, are the helmet of salvation. You are a child of God. There's no condemnation in Christ. Don't let the enemy tell you you're not. That helmet protects those weird thoughts. The breastplate of faith and love, righteousness. That's all it is, faith and love. Armor up. Become a man or woman of prayer in these next 20 days to finish our 40. Why don't you just experiment and try this? Take every thought, every emotion, as it comes in, take it captive. As it comes in, just take it captive and say, man, is this good or is this bad? Oh, it's bad. Take it captive to obedience to Christ. Man, if you just do that, you're going to be a different person in 20 days. Wow. Man, God is a warrior. Oh, we're going to read that next week. Exodus 15. Man, our God is a warrior. He fights for me. My dad, man, could you imagine the task before you if they could just see the power behind you? Oh God, says Elijah, open up his eyes that he might see all who are on our side. And there's chariots of fire all around him. Man, God loves you. Woo, I get excited. And restores my soul, satisfies my Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, Contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week.